0: Welcome back to Potities.
1: Every Friday, we bring you an ode to the odd.
0: That's Cal. And that's Meg. And this is episode 16. 16.
1: Dang. Right?
0: Yeah. 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 Why do we always doubt this? I have no idea. It's our podcast. That probably doesn't come across great.
1: <laughs> We're just losing track.
0: Well, okay. In our defense, we did just finish making a 20-minute clip for Patreon where we made our own list of organs in the brain that relates to part of our episode Mm -hmm. today and that got us super distracted and (laughs) yeah we got us thinking about all sorts of stuff (laughs) and you were doing like a little bit of a disco dance at one point but only i could see so this is our second week in a row we're back to doing regular recordings Mm -hmm. and I'm just trying to think. I haven't been reading lately, unfortunately. I've been helping a friend prepare for a wedding, but I have been watching a lot of television. Mm. Do you have any, anything to recommend? Not right now, honestly. I'm yeah, be- you're not recommending Orange is the New Black because it's, it's a tough watch. It
1: makes me so sad.
0: There are so many big issues that they address.
1: Yeah, And it's
0: done really well and it makes it really difficult to watch. I feel so like difficult. we have to watch it. I feel like it's mm-hmm. so important for everyone to, to be aware of this. But at the same time, I want to just kind of go back to Disney Plus for a little while and put on Moana or something.
1: I didn't even really get to pay attention to Moana when I finally watched it. But at least once a week, I get you're welcome stuck in my head. (laughs) I just, I don't know why I'm just suddenly like, bam, you're welcome. Like what? We haven't
0: watched it in a while, but you can tell when we have, because for a solid few weeks afterwards, whenever somebody does something for someone else in the house, we respond by singing that you're welcome that he does. (laughs) And then it gets everybody laughing. I actually just saw this week, He had posted to social media somewhere, I'm assuming this is true, whatever, it could be fake news, that he was able to introduce his daughter Jasmine to Moana, and he was really pumped to show her that his voice was Maui's voice, and um, so when it came on, he started singing, and she came over and she put her mouth, or her hand over his mouth, and told him to stop because he was ruining the song. (laughs) She's getting a live performance, and she's telling that's him so he's funny. ruining it. That's just that's such a classic, like young kid mm. thing to say. It's priceless, <laughs> just adorable. On a not so adorable note, we have booked a table at a local.
1: What a weird segue! Well,
0: I did it. It worked, didn't it? No, <laughs>
1: oh, that was weird, wasn't it?
0: What? Well, come on, you turn it around then. What else am I going to, what, what can top Dwayne Johnson singing <laughs> is Maui? Like, how do I, how do I pick up from there? I don't know.
1: Hey, here's something exciting. Well,
0: sure. Woo! Okay. Uh, we have booked a table at a nearby Oddities and Curiosities Expo that we discovered from a friend. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in Buffalo, New York on Saturday, August 15th. And we'll be there for the whole day. It's just one day, which makes makes it really nice. Mm-hmm. We will be there handing out uh, swag. We will be there with some prizes to win. We're currently coming up with a game for the table um, to get you to try and stump us in trivia. So it's going to be trivia involved somehow. And you'll be able to win a prize separate from the others.
1: If anybody local goes, don't be surprised if you stop by and we're always eating like poutine or.
0: They have poutine going in there. Buffalo.
1: I'm gonna. They better. Is have it close food enough to starts. Niagara Falls
0: that that's close enough to Canada? I hope so. I hope so too.
1: My heart yearns for it.
0: <laughs> but yeah. If it's like if it's like most conventions and other festivals that we've been to there's food trucks and that would be now I'm really excited about food trucks too right. but I was also excited just because I've never been to an organized group event that's specifically oddities themed oh, yeah. i I feel like I feel like this is living the dream and the fact that they have shows that the vendor places are sold out and this isn't the first year that they're doing it I'm feeling pretty confident about it, Mm -hmm. and um, really looking forward to it, actually.
1: Yeah, that'll be fun.
0: And if it goes well, there's other shows in the New England area that in the future we can look at visiting to Mm -hmm. help spread it i think the best thing that a local podcast can do is get local support so that's what i'm really looking to do i can't wait to meet people and have them tell me weird things because we give you guys so much weird information you come to the table and you tell me something really weird or odd that i didn't already know and i'm gonna give you a prize of some kind hell yeah so That's all we got really going on on that front. We're mostly just working on getting back to being on a regular schedule and just being more open um, and doing something that our fathers always told me to do is um, under promise and over deliver. So be more realistic about turnaround dates, be open about delays, you know, and then just give it our all when we can, which is part of why we took the time tonight to record that uh, little Patreon blurb because we had the chance. Yes. So, should we... Uh Yeah, let's get Get on with it. It. This is
1: a good episode.
0: Okay, so last week was our first episode of the year after we took a break. And we took a trip back 100 years in history to revisit the era that is the Roaring Twenties. It was also the first but not the last episode we'll have on that topic this year. There's really just so much information that goes into that decade that instead of like cramming it into one or only talking about a few things, I split it up into multiple episodes that I'm going to scatter across the year and our next one will actually be in february so we have a special valentine's day episode planned that has to do with the roaring 20s that if you've listened to the previous episode you'll hear (laughs) kale talk all about (laughs) um but before we can get to that episode we have our first book club episode and we are reading 10 days in a madhouse by Nellie Bly and if you're reading along you'll want to finish up by next Friday for when the episode airs and if you haven't that's okay too because part of the episode we'll be doing a synopsis and we'll give a review and we're kind of going to exchange feedback on what we thought Uh, Now, this week's episode is going to be much odder than last week. Episode 16 tells the tale of the untouchable Phineas Gage, the cranium craze of phrenology, and a train to the city of the dead. Now, all of these topics date mostly back to the 19th century. There's Mm. some very late 18th century, but we're mostly looking in that Victorian era again, which is our favorite, and it's known for so many things, so many wonderful, crazy, and fucked up
1: stuff. Love it. Of course. Absolutely. Even though we know more about the brain now than we ever have, there's still so many unknown questions waiting to be answered, and sometimes we find proof in the least likely of places. Like the story of Phineas Gage, a railroad worker who survived the impossible. It's been referred to as an amazing accident, but I'm not sure that that's how he would describe it. I
0: think that's definitely how the doctors did, but I mean, lucky, sure,
1: but amazing? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know, in 1848, Gage was working as a blasting foreman on the Hudson River Railroad Project. In order to build the railroad tracks, workers need to blast rock to create a flat road to build on. Typically, a hole is bored in a rock, then you add blasting powder, followed by a fuse, and then sand. The iron rod is used to pack the hole to contain the force of the blast and propel it in the correct direction, which is down. For whatever reason... That's really
0: important. Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) Down, yep. Away from your face. For whatever reason, there is no sand added to the current blast Gage was working on. When he hit the struck, wait, (laughs) (laughs) there's my typo. (laughs) When he struck the rock with the iron rod, it created a spark lighting the fuse and it led to an explosion. On any given day, Gage had his own set of tamping rods. It's pure luck that on this particular day, he had borrowed a rod from a fellow worker, one that was tapered at the end. When the explosion went off, the iron rod shot out of his grip, went through his head and landed eight feet away. The trajectory forced Tamping Rod through the left side of his face, below the eye, and exited out the top, opposite side of his head. It had created a unique conical-shaped wound. Conical. Conical. Yeah,
0: so it looked like there was like a... a oh. I just had a picture of the... Funnel.
1: Yeah, like a cone. Yeah, That's because, of, because cone. of it yeah. being like a...
0: Yeah. I just realized... Um, that I forgot to talk about how, about the actual tamping rod itself. So you mentioned how it being tapered was really important because how it, because of how it exited his head. But these rods, um, were, were more than an inch thick. They were like eight or nine feet long, and they were Seven kilos, which I'm going to be wrong and guess it's like 15 pounds. So this isn't just like a small like branch or something. These are really large metal. I almost said sticks, which <laughs> 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 metal rods. Okay. So just keep that in mind. So that like nine foot long rod shot up and out of his head and eight feet away.
1: That really That's was fucking that was crazy. an explosion,
0: like worthy of die hard. <laughs> So flabbergasted, the gauge had survived the explosion. There was really little the doctors could do. They shaved his head. They cleaned up the wound. They removed pieces and chunks of his skull and brain. Mm. Um, They drained the brain and the wound um to relieve some of the swelling and then they bandaged his head which is actually really surprisingly correct way to take care of it and it was just a complete guess on the doctor's Mm -hmm. part um but unsurprisingly despite this um, he developed an infection at the site Not of the wound, which, all. no. So you combine the base swelling from the injury itself, and then the fungal spores from the infection actually take up space, mm-hmm. which I had never which thought about. So you think about, I think about, like, diseases and microbes being invisible to the naked eye, but knowing that the spores and, that, and the infection were enough to create... They needed space. Freaky. That's so yes, yeah. it is. That's exactly. Um, so basically when you when you get that combination, his condition was just unpleasant to put it lightly. Um no. it at one point he said that he was okay. He um puked and then um lost like a quarter cup of brain and then um, fainted. Oh my god. So um The increased cranial pressure forced brain matter and other unpleasant substances from the hole in his head on a regular basis, and at times was known to have pushed his eye out of the socket because the pressure was so intense. Ouch. But remarkably, yet again, he survived interest in his amazing accident had people everywhere interested in phineas gage and he spent time at teaching hospitals in barnum's american museum and at public speeches and appearances this makes gage one of the first people to go to a teaching hospital not as a student teacher or cadaver also really important Mm -hmm. but as a living breathing patient that could be studied Mm -hmm. while the publicity and demand was really high it was only temporary and then once the public lost interest he had to find other ways to support himself and just like yeah that's so sad
1: and unfortunately after not too long he began having seizures (coughs) he died later that year from complications with the seizures phineas gage survived 12 years after the explosion it seems like a miracle and maybe also a curse, given how many reports there are of his changed behavior and attitude after the accident. According to his doctor, before this incident, Gage was a regular young man, active, muscly, and unusually well <laughs> and-
0: I... I... I wrote that and I giggled and I shouldn't, but I think, like, just the translation, the difference in time, yeah, like almost 200 years, unusually well developed is not how I believe a doctor
1: would describe somebody who was very muscular, right? But that's that's what
0: they were doing. (laughs)
1: Um, he was rarely ill and he made a good impression everywhere he went. And then interviews with friends and family showed that most people still saw Gage as a nice guy. Noticing more of a change in his facial features than personality, like a droopy eyelid. However, many other reports give very different accounts. They said he was vulgar and profane, he became sexually inappropriate, violent and impulsive with a mean streak. One source said that it was recommended for women to not be left alone with him. Even the railroad company that Gage had been working for at the time of the accident refused to hire him back after he was healed. I feel like that says a lot because he had a good
0: track record. Yeah. I mean, he made his way up and for them to not take him back. Right. so. So today, scientists can show that the damage done to Gage's brain caused the changes in his personality and characteristics that other people who have suffered from traumatic brain injury have also experienced because of that same area that was damaged. And speaking of traumatic brain injury, Phineas Gage's story also goes down in history as one of the first records we have of anyone surviving an injury of this magnitude. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean... I've heard this story dozens of times. I heard it in my intro to psychology course in high school. Same. And having heard it dozens of times, it still amazes me that he's survived the explosion, let alone for a dozen years. Um, But back then, followers of phrenology. So this is going against... Current science that understands mm-hmm. what was really damaged in the brain. So, back then, followers of phrenology believed that the tamping rod had damaged organs the pieces of his brain that were labeled for benevolence, veneration, and compassion. So what the fuck are these exactly, you might ask? Well, we're going to try and explain it, but sometimes history is just really weird, so bear with us. In the very late 18th century, Franz Joseph Gall conceived of a science where the skull correlated with personality types. He called this process cranioscopy. These studies would lead Gall to a partnership with another pseudoscientist by the name of Johann Spurzheim, and that is when phrenology was born and when it really took off. Meaning the study of thought, phrenology was a way of determining a person's intelligence and personality by reading the size and shape of the skull.
1: Size and
0: the shape. Size and the shape. Oh, boy. Mm, That's what she said.
1: (laughs) According to Gall, there are five basic laws that served as a foundation for phrenology. One, that moral and intellectual faculties are innate, and the
0: faculties are what he considered the connection between the emotion or characteristic and that center of the brain. Yes. So they, and then two, that their exercise or manifestation depends on organization.
1: Three, that the brain is the organ of all the propensities, sentiments, and faculties.
0: Four, that the brain is composed of many particular organs as there are propensities, sentiments, and faculties, which different essentially, which are different, which are essentially different from one another. Right.
1: There we go. And five, that the form of the head or cranium represents the form of the brain and thus reflects the relative <laughs> development of brain organs.
0: So you get the first few, and I'm like, okay, I really dig this. These are some really, <laughs> like, advanced thoughts, and then you get down to that one, and he basically thought that, like, the skull was, you know, the heat gun for, like, tea wrappers and yeah. stuff? That your cranium did that to your brain. Yep. Just... <laughs> and so that's where you could see the lumps and everything...
1: Oh, man. Together, Gall and Spurzheim believed and hypothesized that the human brain was made up of 27 areas, each responsible for a different personality trait. Theoretically, once the centers were identified and mapped... People who lack in certain areas or characteristics can retrain their brain to improve in said areas.
0: Yeah, this really connected with the American population at the time because they're in an era where they're all about continuing to mm, better themselves, to invest in themselves, to learn more, to push Mm -hmm. boundaries, to really develop a new culture.
1: So what were these 27 areas? I'm glad you asked. Or didn't. We're going to fucking tell you anyways. That list is taken directly from the 1848 edition of American Phrenological Journal.
0: And is vastly different from ours and yours. Because (laughs) you should make a list and comment. Because I want to know what everybody thinks to put.
1: It's tougher than you would think.
0: We came up with four right after we turned it off. Yeah, that's that we true. completely forgot about. So I'm interested to see what others people have. So all
1: right, so 27 number one instinct of reproduction. Hey, yeah. well, oh yeah, that's or sort of not. like
0: ours. Yeah, that's exactly yes. It should say or not. So two is love of one's offspring. If you have, we should just say family. Right. Three affection and friendship.
1: Oh, sure. Just read mine. No, it's fine.
0: Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Well, read mine,
1: then. Four, instinct of self-defense and courage. The tendency to get into fights. Five, carnivorous instinct. The tendency to murder. I feel
0: like that's more of, like, the tendency to cannibalize. That's a very,
1: like, aggressive
0: way. (laughs) It reminds me of your carnivorous hairs from episode 13. So... Six, guile,
1: acuteness, and cleverness. Seven, feeling of property, the instinct of stocking up on food. That's me all the time. Uh, the tendency <laughs> to steal. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: said feeling of property, and I was immediately like, Do you, you, you. F- you understand what it's like to feel like a, a batch of land. I really, um, sometimes the wording just my brain interprets it in such a wrong way. Um, so eight pride, arrogance, haughtiness, love of authority, loftiness. Those, that's a weird juxtaposition.
1: Nine vanity, ambition, love of glory.
0: That's a good one. 10 circumspection forethought.
1: 11. Memory of things, the memory of facts. Educatability. God, perfectibility. Perfectibility.
0: That's not something that should be on any fucking
1: list. Right? It's
0: uh, progress, not perfection. Yes. 12. Sense of places, of space proportions. I fucking failed that one. <laughs> I get lost in a department
1: store. Same. Series like Head West. And I'm like, what?
0: Yeah, where is that a big rock or the tree that's split down the middle?
1: Give me the destinations (laughs) along the way. Thirteen, memory of people, the sense of people. I see dead people.
0: Uh, Fourteen, memory of
1: words. Fifteen, sense of language of speak. Of speech. (laughs) I I speak well.
0: Of speech. (laughs) Tarted. um um <laughs> damn it
1: shut
0: up <laughs> <laughs> damn it okay sorry 16 sense of color
1: 17 sense of sounds gift of music
0: 18 sense of connectedness between numbers What? what <laughs> is I that like being able to like know that two comes after one That's a really weird one. Yeah,
1: nineteen. Oh god, sense of mechanics of construction, the talent for architecture. Mine,
0: I would just have twenty. I have twenty six organs. That one doesn't even exist in my brain. Twenty
1: comparative
0: sagacity.
1: Mine would consist of like what do I remember from um what was that Tim Allen show Home (laughs) Improvement. (laughs)
0: Or it's just, or it's just a clip of Deadpool trying to assemble Ikea furniture playing over and over
1: again. Uh, Sorry, 21, sense of metaphysics. Since I don't even
0: know (laughs) what that one is, that's another organ that I don't have. 22, sense of satire, sense of witticism. This one, this is where this takes up the place. Like when I was pregnant with the twins, they displaced all my internal organs. This is what this one's doing in my brain right now.
1: Twenty-three, poetical talent.
0: That's better than political talent. Oh show. Twenty-four, kindness, benevolence, gentleness, compassion, sensitivity, and moral sense.
1: Twenty-five, faculty to imitate the mimic.
0: Which is interesting because that's something that we now know is automatic. Mm-hmm. It's something we do as children. So it's kind of, I wonder if they put that on there not. Yeah, knowing that that was something that was automatic. Yeah, maybe. That's actually kind of curious to me. And then 26, we have organ of religion, which we totally missed on our list.
1: Yeah. And 27, firmness of purpose. Perseverance. (laughs) Is that a typo or am I just a dingus? What? Is it supposed to be consistency?
0: Constancy.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And then obstinacy which when I was writing up the episode and I was reading this list from this very outdated thing, I thought that instead of it saying obstinacy, like being obstinate, I thought it said abstinence (laughs) (laughs) abstinence that's exactly "Uh, what i thought it was
1: i mean we did just cover religion so
0: (laughs) ones after the other so to prove these theories gall studied select groups of people he believed would be the easiest to identify those with extreme characteristics and thus areas of the brain that are well developed and Mm -hmm. easy to find so he looked To the criminals, he looked to the psychiatric patients, and interestingly, he looked to the artists, which I actually found really interesting because there's always been this idea that um, art and mental health exist in the same like existence together, Mm. and um, so. I just thought that it was interesting that what parts of the brain might he have thought that the artist like troubled, like depressed because there were very many artists throughout history or was it creativity? That's just not something I would have thought to have seen paired together with psychiatric patients and criminals. Mm. But anyway, um, but so moving on the criminals, he was specifically studying them for their centers for murder and theft Unfortunately, what's not really too surprising is if a subject didn't fit his theory, he wouldn't be counted in the study. Convenient. Yeah, and it wasn't just the research results that like got fucked with as his studies progressed, he began collecting skulls and heads which the distinction in that in my research was kind of disturbing, and I'm wondering what kind of what kind of heads and, like, right. did he just find them? Like, did people just drop them off? Like, yo, Gal, we know you like this. Did he just find
1: them? He's yeah. walking by. He's like, oh, another I, one. I know,
0: like- <laughs> um so he built this up this massive phrenological specimen collection yeah he only kept the examples that supported his work so joining the collection he added in casts of skulls and brain molds as well as animal skulls which is kind of what i'm hoping the heads were yeah um so with so much attention on him at this point it isn't surprising that someone noticed and by someone, I mean the church with a capital C. Mm-hmm. Because phrenology placed consciousness, the mind, you know, um, freedom of will, as you would think, inside the brain. Mm-hmm. Instead of what the church taught was that God had created your mind and thus your mind was housed in your soul. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, all things phrenological were banned in Austria. But it... they. It didn't bother them. So Gall and Spurzheim and their circus of specimens took to the road. They hosted lectures and speeches on their way to settling in Berlin and then eventually the United States, which was where they found true success and sensationalism with this movement.
1: Like Meg was saying, the one thing that really sets Gall apart in the 19th century is his belief that the mind is connected to the brain, going against the religious and societal beliefs at the time. He is still considered an important part of the battle between science and religion. Thank you. Anyway, the ban on phren- phrenology <laughs> did happen when a lot of things were made illegal. and made the movement more popular. People became cranium crazy. Phrenological societies, groups, and clubs popped up across the country. When looking to hire new workers, employers would advertise in search of people with well-developed, specifical... Specifical. Spe- oh <laughs> that's not a typo. That's Specific <laughs> Phrenological centers associated with that type of work. Sometimes the exams or results served as a weird background test. Yeah.
0: So we're going to take a hair follicle test. You know, we need to do a normal background test and we're going to, you know, we're going to measure your cranium Yeah.
1: feel you for lumps. Just let me feel around <laughs> on your head for a bit. Parlors for Phrenology opened... Which were more akin to a carnival sideshow and fit right in with the portion of the population that saw this new science as a fun source of entertainment, like they did with fortune telling and palm reading.
0: Yeah, so you have different groups of people. Some people truly bought into it, some mm-hmm. people were like, woo, this is a new fun thing, and mm-hmm. everything in between. In 1851, at the Great Exhibition in Hyde Park, more than six million attendees had access to an exhibit there where they could gaze upon a collection of phrenological busts. Now, not only did the collection of busts contain normal people, so the bust is like the reproduction, like a death mask, just in case um, some of this really weird shit is new to people, because I'm assuming that's probably pretty normal. So the busts had normal people, they had famous people busts, and they had philosopher busts. It sounds like a weird gift shop. Um, Another famous exhibition in France was home to the valued specimen of a Napoleon Bonaparte bust. Artists produced and sold busts in all sizes, from the convenient size of a pocket watch to full scale for display. Souvenirs for everyone. (laughs) Newspapers printed articles and phrenological diagrams, making it an easy DIY experiment. An unexpected tourist spot, the Phrenological Cabinet, became one of the most popular destinations in New York. It was a pseudo-museum that included exhibits, specimens, others' examples, and photographs of two guys named the Fowler Brothers and their years of touring and lecturing. They started out as two disgruntled evangelical siblings who set across the country to lecture and educate people on the truth and potential of phrenology. Additionally, they also published the American Phrenological Journal and Miscellany, which was in print for over 70 fucking years. And they also offered a whole host of other phrenological-based books, publications, instructions, like, for parents. How to be conscious of your child's cranium oh, and raise God. them. It's absolutely crazy, which is why
1: we love to talk about it. Yeah. Bachelors at mm-hmm. the time used phrenological personality tests to help them select the best wife.
0: Move over television show. This is the new idea. Right.
1: One who would make a docile housewife dedicated to rearing children and raising a family. Ugh. <laughs> For these future brides, the two centers of the most importance are... What even? <laughs> Mag, take it away.
0: Philoprogenitiveness. Yeah,
1: that, which shows a woman's potential to be an affectionate mother, and amativeness, which was responsible for sexual desire, at a point in time where the only desire women were supposed to have was to be a human incubator. Predicting or being able to control the organ responsible was a big selling point,
0: and absolutely disgusting
1: awful unfortunately women were not the only ones who suffered from the craze although it was mostly widely accepted by the masses it was never adopted by any professional medical organizations by the 20th century the practice was totally discredited but the damage had already been done humans had been making judgments about others and assessing their value based on unfair and absurd theories ideas and practices For as long as they've been able to. Mm -hmm. Phrenology had just become the latest in a series of tools that fell into the hands of dishonest people looking to use it for their personal selfish desires. What
0: year is this? Right? Right,
1: yeah. For years, it was a way to justify racism and slavery in the name of quote-unquote science. For this reason alone, it shouldn't be surprising that phrenology was especially embraced by southern plantation owners. It was also used to reinforce gender bias and sexism to diagnose mental illnesses and identify criminals.
0: So, yet again, like, the so rich, white, privileged guys are targeting yeah. every group Possible. of people. So, fuck for knowledge. Yeah,
1: well. Well, okay, no, that's not fair. Yeah, no. Because it helps lead to that... So this is what
0: becomes Dang, so hard, and yeah. I think it's it's important why we talk about stuff like this, because I'm trying not to gloss over the bad stuff. Um, it's not an excuse to say that it makes us uncomfortable, but I do right. think it's something we have to build up to, mm-hmm. um, to, to confidently be able to put it out there. Right. Um, Yeah, so anyways, all in all, the Cranium Craze was a pretty short-lived pseudoscientific fiasco. It arguably left society worse than when it found it and made very little contributions to science and education. Of the 27 organs that were defined by Gall and Spurzheim, 25 were never found, a.k.a. they don't fucking exist. However, somehow the areas associated with language and memory were not only correct but in the right area..
1: Yeah, lucky.
0: And then Gall would also be remembered as the first to show interest and in study into the gray matter of the brain, which is cool. And by 1850, Phineas Gage was deceased. The practice of phrenology is largely discredited and it's waning in popularity. While the craze had caught on in Europe for a brief while, there was something much more dire going on at the same time. The ever-increasing population of London, coupled with viruses and outbreaks, was resulting in more dead that can be buried in what little space that they had. The cemeteries there were just incredibly is an understatement, overcrowded, and it led to some really gruesome choices that people in this profession had to make, chose to make. Um, mm. So they got creative in some really unsettling ways, like uh, mass graves or burying one body on top of another on top of another in the same plot in one plot or actually going in and removing a body after burial and funeral to cremate it and then leave the plot open for the next person
1: the issue became so bad that the cemeteries in the city were shut down and land further away which was much less expensive was bought to solve the problem This new space contained over 1,500 acres that would be turned into one of the largest cemeteries of its time, the London Necropolis. This new and improved plot of land posed a big problem to most people because it was 23 miles away. The solution? A new railway line with only one purpose, to make the trip back and forth from the station to the new burial grounds and back. Mourning Families from all socioeconomic backgrounds would ride the train with the deceased on board in the coffin. I felt like that was important.
0: Yeah,
1: to specify. shows, Grandpa Joe's not just like you're not. He's not in, the seat in belt a seatbelt next
0: to you. Yeah, he's secured in a coffin. They actually talked about how they had safety measures in place mm. and ropes and straps they used.
1: This system alleviated the burden on a family to find and pay for transportation. It also became a customary routine for the family of the deceased. Together, they would ride the train for 40 minutes, disembark for the funeral, have a shared meal with their family right at the train station, then hop back on the bus for home. All in all, the journey and process would take four hours and 10 minutes.
0: Which I feel is far less than a traditional funeral Mm -hmm. and burial and then like ceremony kind of thing afterwards. Definitely. So, early worries, early worries on nope. (laughs) Uh, early worries about the public's reaction to the living and the dead riding in the same train was the reason why the london necropolis had just that one job they didn't want to like cross contaminate is the wrong word but like they didn't want like the sick and the healthy and the right. dead and the mourning to all be riding like trains at the same time or after each other mm-hmm. which i can i can understand now while the sections of the train or cabins were divided by class you had to buy tickets based on which class you rode in um but the cemetery itself was actually divided by religion which i thought was interesting yeah. so people of like denominations would be buried together in designated areas of this new patch of land the cost to ride the train varied from two to six shillings, which is roughly four to thirty five dollars in today's money. And the cost to transport the deceased averaged a dollar, which really shocked me. Yeah, that's crazy. So it cost thirty five dollars for a first class passenger, but it only cost them a dollar for the deceased. Weird. Yeah. Despite the questionable long-term popularity of the scenario, at the very least we can confidently say that it was successful, because they transported an average of 2,000 bodies each year from crowded London to the countryside. And not everyone wanted to leave London, and that's understandable. Plenty of people wanted to continue being buried near or with family and have their final resting place where they lived, where they grew up. Mm -hmm. Not in a new place that they had never been and had no connection to. There were other reasons why some people were of averse to the new burial plan but ultimately it wouldn't matter in 1941 during the blitz the london necropolis railway station was destroyed and it was decided the structure would not be rebuilt and the service would no longer be offered all that is left today is one small building from the depot just one more ghost town in london
1: Today, neuroscientists and doctors see the phrenology movement as the beginning of an important endeavor and chapter in research and discovery. Phineas Gage's experience and story were so unbelievable that he's remained a key part of science for nearly 200 years, and his skull and the tamping rod are still on display at the Warren Anatomical Museum in Harvard. It is currently closed for construction and renovation until spring 2021. However, some of their collection and archives can be viewed online. And that wraps up our tales for this episode. Two more ghosts and another medical quackery added to the podcast's history. We only have one episode left in January, so join us next week for our book club episode. As a recap, we'll be reading 10 Days in a Madhouse, and we've connected that book to two other topics. I'll be covering how Nellie Bly was an inspiration to Asylum, the second season of American Horror Story and Meg will be covering the history of the institution Nellie was in and what's become of it since.
0: There's actually a really good book published on it not that long ago, so mm-hmm. I got to include that in the research, which was exciting. And
1: that's everything. Yep,
0: and that's everything. We did a pretty long intro, so uh, yeah. we wa- I watched uh, the Netflix Dracula and Men in Black and some other things that uh, I will review next time. Mm. Spread it out a little bit when we don't have a list of 27 things we had to spontaneously (laughs) come up with. So thank you for tuning in. And if you want more podities in your life, join us back here next Friday to learn some new odd things. In the meantime, you can find us on social media.
1: We have a Patreon group that we would also love for you to join. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to the Podatorium, which is like a little club for fans of the show. You get weekly episode posts and special content, like the posts that Meg was talking about, the 27 that we came up with, and even occasional giveaways. We're also on Instagram.
0: At an ode to the odd. Twitter. At podities underscore. And
1: Facebook. At podities. If you enjoy this episode, please consider referring the show to a friend or rating it on iTunes for us.
0: And if you have a story to share or a topic to request, feel free to shoot us an email at podities at anode to the odd dot com.
1: Podities is written and researched and produced and all that other stuff by Meg McGibbon and Callie Ayers.
0: And until next time, seek out the strange and
1: learn something new.
0: You know, it just made me realize that people who don't write in cursive don't ever get to hear that, like right. I felt-tipped flow of writing, and I filled out um permission slips for an activity at school. And it asks you to print. And I feel like I'm back with, like, those rubber grippy things on the pencils, learning how to write. And I got my tongue sticking out the corner of my mouth. And I'm like, how do you write a normal G again? And I'm, like, struggling to, like, (laughs) separate all of my letters. It's crazy how many people can't read my handwriting because it's cursive. Yeah. But... That's not the point of this, anyway. I just didn't know if anybody else could hear that very satisfying swish of the writing. So you came up with, oh. For anybody who's new, or just as a reminder, at the end of the episode, we've started doing a uh, naming contest between the two of us. We challenge each other to come up with a name relevant to something that we talked about in the show. We read them out loud, we laugh a lot, we pick one, and then you have no idea what you're going to be listening to based on the episode title. (laughs) So, you wanna... The
1: one that I wrote down, you definitely would have to listen to this to understand the whole thing. Okay. You go first. Mine's longer. Did you come up with anything? Yes, I did. Okay, go ahead. It
0: was earlier when I was laughing. It was why I snorted the second time. Oh. Uh, So, I'm proposing episode 16, The Language of Speak. The Language (laughs) of Speak.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Okay, mine is really mean, but I thought it was hilarious. Oh, God. Okay, do you want to hear a joke? Do you want to hear I a joke? I thought you were reading the. Th- is this part? But I'm asking you, do you want to hear a joke?
0: I don't know. This is kind of scary. Do I?
1: Phineas Gage goes into a bar. <laughs> Wait, I ruined the joke. The bar goes into him. <laughs> Episode title Phineas Gage goes into a bar. Dot dot dot.
0: Too soon, question <laughs> Mark? No! Oh, damn. Hundreds of years. (laughs) Oh, and if you're wondering, yeah, that's uh, the exact kind of reason why we love playing Cards Against Humanity, because we're raunchy and inappropriate, and we thank you for listening, and we will see you back here next Friday for Book Club. You. Bye. (laughs)
1: I can't stand it. 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 I can't stand it.